0: The OTV Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Seven minutes past eight. Now, all this week we're going to be talking with people involved at various levels of Irish sport. This is a a conversation that was actually started by a tweet from New Zealand where it turns out all of the major sporting organisations have diagnosed an issue that's common to their sports and that's the fact that kids are dropping out and they're dropping out because they no longer enjoy it they're not playing sport for enjoyment they're playing sport because they feel like they have to to either impress their parents or their coaches or for whatever reason um and we're going to try and drill in to see if irish sport has a similar issue you would expect that we probably do given that um you know uh humans are humans the whole way around but what are we going to do this week nathan and what can people expect
1: yeah i think we're going to look at what the future of irish sport is at a grassroots level around participation, around dropout, around those key moments where kids drop out and adults drop out where it's the transition from primary to secondary from secondary to college and as you go through your various life stages how we can stop people dropping out of sport and go back to making it fun because that is the basis of everything they're doing in New Zealand and it's also research based that they have done the surveys they have looked at the statistics, they look at what people want and they're trying to address that balance between the fun aspect of it, the participation side and the elite side and pushing back the specialization as far as possible. And they've taken major steps in that where getting the five major sports to come together with a list of agreements around representative teams and moving away from having representative teams at under 11, under 12, getting it far higher age wise. And this is all the major sports. This is rugby in New Zealand as well have bought into this it hasn't been straightforward so agreeing that early specialization isn't good creating a calendar where actually children and adults can play a variety of different sports putting investment into more recreational sports so not everybody can commit to playing in a team that trains twice a week and plays a match at the weekend but may still want to play that sport so what can you do to keep those people involved so that they are still active like uh, getting away from presuming that because a child is brilliant at 13 they're going to be brilliant at 30. And what happens to the player who is just off the radar at 13 or 14, who ends up dropping out because they feel they're not good enough because there's so much pressure to be successful. They looked at adults watching Jurgen Klopp and on a soldier yesterday and then arriving on the sideline a week later and wanting to be that and treating the children as if they are adults. So... That's a huge issue, I think, that's always been there around coaching, so it'll be interesting to see if that culture is changing. I know there's a lot of forward-thinking coaches around this country in every sport who are trying to get away from that, and looking at issues like burnout, and if you are to have players playing a number of sports, and we are in a position in this country where we have a lot of success in sports across Gaelic games, soccer and rugby, where kids are involved in the main sports, but then a lot of small as well how they're given the opportunity to go and have the time to play in all of those so i think there's a lot in it as i said there's a lot of people who have thought deeply about this and getting that balance then as to how we still create the elite athletes how we still create those who can go on in time to come to olympic games giving them what they need the resources they need but figuring out when they need to start getting those that it doesn't have a detrimental effect on a huge swathe. Of society.
0: Yeah, so it's a long-form conversation. We're going to be having it all week. And I'm delighted to kick it off this morning with uh, Jason Sherlock and Pat Daly. Jets, you're both very welcome to the show. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, Pat, I might start with you. Um There's, there's a, obviously a big, wide conversation to be had, and it's clear that New Zealand are leading the way. Before I get to that aspect of it, I did want to just talk about the elephant in the room, and that's the short-term and then the medium-term impact that we're going to see from the pandemic, because a bunch of kids won't have played any sport essentially for the best part of a year, maybe 18 months by the time we all get vaccinated. So that's gonna have a knock on impact too, I
2: presume. Yeah, I think it is, there's no doubt about that. It's gonna have impact uh, across a number of different frontiers, but I think predominantly in a socialization context there, uh, you know, the the New Zealand people are highlighting the uh, fun aspect, but I, th- I also believe the friendship aspect is huge. Uh, and I think there's, there's going to be a uh, knockback there Ironically, what I've seen on foot of the pandemic, I live here in Neath and Rathaud, is an incredible increase in the number of people out exercising. Uh, I live in the lane, and at times at the weekend, it's a bit like O'Connell Street. I've never seen anything like it. So, ironically, there has been some benefit in that. In that regard, I think there's an increased awareness and understanding of the importance of exercise. And it's in this, in that context I think that sport needs to recast itself and look at itself.
0: I think that, that's a really good point. And we saw that the stats from the ESRI were off the charts for the number of people who were actually out exercising in the middle of last summer that the annual sports monitor that comes out. So it'll be really interesting to see if, if people kept that up. But that's a really interesting kind of... Um, piece of of information to bear in mind when you see what new zealand are doing they're trying to get more people back to doing just recreational sports when you saw new zealand's initiative and the the big sports coming
2: together pat what did you think yeah i think look if it comes from new zealand it must be right Uh, ironically it's the kind of thing that we've been trying to do here uh for a number of different years we started with the goal games and they were introduced so that every kid got a goal up to under 11 for the entire game so that there wasn't any substitutes and there was huge opposition to that because the culture is very much keep the best forget the rest and win at all costs that permeates its way down from the the type of thing that you were talking about Jurgen are that's coming from the intercounty game but with the games, what we were trying to do was put the person at the center of the process and there was some research from Munster recently where they conducted a review of their work on the ground there and the two foremost requirements for parents in terms of their children were a well-being and personal development. So we have to get back to putting the person at the center of the process and putting well-being at the epicenter of things. So if we're not contributing to the person's well-being, we have to question what we're at.
1: Jason, one of the key terms they use from the studies in New Zealand is balance is better. And looking at underage players, when you were coming through, you were obviously an incredibly talented young sports person across a number of different sports how did you get the balance right that you were able to continue all three or were there periods actually where you felt a real pressure to focus on one?
3: Um, no, I think starting out as all young boy and girl, I had dreams. I had loads of dreams. They emanated from the TV, looking at sports. They emanated from my uncles bring me down to Crow Park. And I think that's where it starts in terms of building up that kind of love and growth for, for certain sports. So, so, so from my point of view, that's what influenced me. And it, it influenced a lot of the dreams that I had. I think in terms of this conversation, when I look back, when I was 10, 11, 12, I was very small. I, I like I, I played sport, but not um, I wasn't kind of trained to an inch of in my life or anything like that. So definitely, I I, th- I always believe that any young boy or girl can achieve in whatever they want to at that age with the right kind of I suppose intrinsic motivation, which is I think the first and foremost. I think sporting organisations at that age, it's about winning the hearts and minds of these young boys and girls to show them and demonstrate that this is a really cool thing to do and will be really helpful for your life. I think then secondly is that, as you mentioned there, when it comes to talented kids, like talented kids will will select themselves, you know? And I think this is some of the challenge that this debate uh, leads and, and, and Pat alluded to it there about being the best and forgetting the rest. I think all you can do at that age is provide a format in terms of that participation side, in terms of preparing and, and providing the, the skills and the development for young boys and girls. And after that, it's up to young boys and girls then individually to say, well, I want to be the best at something and then they can work out when they need to focus. When it, when it came to me, I, I played a lot of sports up until my kind of late teens and it was only at that stage where I felt, well, really to give myself a, a, an opportunity, I probably need to kind of narrow down. But again, at the level you're talking about, at the level New Zealand are talking about, and I think it's a great parallel because we're very similar in terms of what sport means to us as a country and size, etc. Like I think um, it, it development I think participation at a young age is the first uh, first part of call, and it will be interesting. And it is interesting is, is to see if there is any opportunity to collaborate from a sporting organisation to, to organisations to help that.
0: Yeah, I think Pat, you talked about the the uh, resistance that you faced. Essentially, I think New Zealand are trying to um, like get a bunch of different sports organisations to collaborate, as Jason says to a much higher level so like you know it's not just the under 10s and under 11s it's like trying to just keep people active through those teen years when they tend to drop out i can imagine that's going to be um culturally difficult in in our country where everybody has naturally enough staked out their territory over the last century and a half
2: yeah well i think it's interesting that sport new zealand seems to be leading the way and and maybe sport ireland can do something comparable in this country and at the center of that i think is the differentiate between the child up to the end of primary school, the youth and the adult, are play to learn and learn to perform and then you perform to your potential. And one of the biggest challenges uh, we've encountered in this space with the Go Games, and we also have Super Games at youth level, and they're proving very popular, they're kind of walk-up games, recreational games, and they're competitive. Everything is competitive, even backyard games are competitive, but the important thing is that they're developmental, the emphasis is not on winning. And that's the type of thing that drives the intrinsic motivation that jason is talking about the person wants to be the best that they can be so if we can get a model that embraces the child and the youth, and in my opinion everything to 17 should be developed into uh, and thereafterwards you go into an adult the adult scenario and that's different but if we have the play to learn learn to perform the child use interface right if we can get that right and we would have seen with the cool camps, a million kids have gone through on cool camps since two or six. It can be done. And there is huge potential if the thinking is aligned. And I think it's incumbent on agencies like Sport Island to lead that.
0: In terms of the benefit of Go Games, what have you seen?
2: The, the benefits have been, uh, have been incredible, really, because every kid gets to, to participate for the entire game. Uh, like we had um, Colin O'Connor at the coaching conference a, a couple of years ago. And... He, he was the of sport and he was absolutely wonderful. He said, if you deny a kid the opportunity to play, you deny them the opportunity to live in their imagination. And if you can't live in your imagination, and Gio referred to that when he was down in Crow Park, when he was watching the games on television, that's where it all emanates from. But if the opportunity to play is is denied the person, that won't happen and innovation and uh, intrinsic motivation and things like that dissipate down the line. So it's all about providing those participation pathways and the game is central because that's what kids want to do. The super games would be relatively new to people. You go to a center, you get a wristband, you go to a field and you play with the kids on that field and the kids absolutely Embrace those in a big way. Charlie Harrison rolled them out at the conduct Sense of excellence two years ago. And we had seven hundred and seventy-seven kids. And the enjoyment was incredible because you were playing with people you never met before. And the emphasis was on fun, fairness, friendship, enjoyment, and freedom of expression.
0: Jason, do you think now that if you were like, you know, if you if you were to come through at this point as talented in the different sports that you are, that the pressure would be on you as a 13-year-old as opposed to later on in your teens to specialise?
3: Yeah, and I, I think I can only follow on my own experience. And I definitely think as a sports person, um, I definitely benefited from playing a number of different sports. Um, I look at the way I played, the way I thought of the game. I think potentially if I'd have gone down the route of one sport, I, I certainly wouldn't have been the player in any of the sports I would have focused on because I picked up so many other things and tools and attributes from other sports um. and I think that potentially could be the challenge now that we're looking at more and more to identify this talent and kind of pick these people that are our are, are conveyor belt for the future and that is a worrying prospect because they are the, the top elite percent of our, our, our participation area um, areas and I think context is really important I think no matter what what sport what club what organization you are it's it's understanding what does success look like and the reality is if you have 20 30 young boys or girls it's a very low percentage that are going to go to the top of the game but there's so many other values they can provide your team your organization and for me like if if success can be more of that delayed looking at a longer term um, success. point pipeline where if you had those young boys and girls as members of your club in 10 years time or taking a team in, in 15 years time that that to me should be where the success uh, starts not can we pick the best player and I think if you start at that level as I said the players with the talent and the potential they will come to the top and all sporting organisations now have that pipeline to deal with talent, they're called development squads some of them call them academies so, so, so those young boys and girls will have a pipeline again i think that the worry and and the great work pat has done through the ga is the more broader participation area and i think that's listening to what's going on in new zealand that's the area that they're challenging and i think it, it's no harm for ourselves to look at that as well
1: the latest research in new zealand we, we do keep going back to new zealand but they've had a very different COVID experience to us in ireland pat but they have looked at the three four month gap of no sport and there's been an increase in children an increase in adults but the teenage years they found a big drop off even over the space of the covid break in terms of making sure that that doesn't happen here and that players stay involved how big a commitment should players be expecting to make when in those teenage years to a say for example a a gea club but if you want to be in do you have to expect to have to train twice a week and play at the weekend are we expecting too much from teenagers
2: yeah, I look, at, I, I think there's, there's probably a, a number of different angles to this. Young people today, because of examination systems which haven't moved with the times either, are subjected to increased pressures to perform well in exams and point races and all that kind of thing. But I believe it's all about providing them opportunities uh, with opportunities to play games. You can have compa- you can you can have uh, the the super games, as I say, where they're guaranteed to get a game every week. And they know they're going to get a game. That's not always the case. The, the dropout begins to happen at 13, 14, 15, 16. And that's where the big numbers begin to hemorrhage from there on to 20. So I think what needs to be done is you provide participation pathways for the children, or for the participants. And we just get away with this preoccupation uh, from winning. And a lot of it comes down to coaching as well and poor coaching practice. That's what the research tells us. But the competition of the coach is at the centre of the practice when the person should be at the centre of the practice and the development of the person, as Jao said, and that will reward them and stand them in good state in life. And in my opinion, within education and within coaching we should be talking about energies, vitalities, character building behaviours and capacities as much as anything else, because we're in the business of developing people.
0: That's a, it's a, like a big, broad cultural shift, I think, for all sports, Pat, isn't it? That, the, you know, we, we we in the media have built up the obsession with the managers all the way back to Shankly and Miko and whatever sport you want, there's always these iconic managers, and everybody comes along and thinks, right, we must ape that from the, the school team to the, the underage team in, in all sports, and the cultural yeah, right.
2: shift is a big yeah, one. That's what's happening. The, the the culture is permeating its way down from what they see. And that's understandable. But at the end of the day, I think it's incumbent on people in education to ensure that coaches have a good understanding of what they're doing. And they're trying to develop a person. Last week, we lost one of the great coaches of my time, uh, Eamon Ryan. He was a wonderful tutor, teacher, mentor, manager. And basically, Eamon was full of what I would call AI, uh, authenticity and integrity and he wanted to get the best out of you and you wanted to get the best out of yourself for Eamon. Now, if we could inculcate that across the coaching spectrum, I think we get the type of transformative change we're looking for.
0: Jason, listening to anybody talk about um, Jim Gavin, uh, that seems like it was at the center of of him getting great performances out of individuals as well. And I, I wonder, like, your experience as somebody who grew up with basketball coaching and a bit of football coaching, soccer coaching, like, is that something that you've drawn on? The the ability to kind of see that there isn't just one single way of doing business when it comes to being a GEA coach, for example.
3: Yeah, I, I think Jim's context as a Dublin senior inter-county manager, and this is part of the challenge that Pat's alluding to there. That's not necessarily a good copy and paste for a young aspiring coach out there with an under-14 team. And I think I, I've no doubt Jim is a totally different coach when he's with his son Jude and Bally Bowden at the under-12s. So again, going back to that context, and there's this big. I've heard this about. Oh, we need better coaches. We need. We need. We need this to improve our players. We need better coaches when I look back it wasn't great coaches that influenced me it was great people and I think if you you, you listen there about Eamon Ryan you had Jerry Kearning in, in an athle- athletics context recently the first thing people talk about them is as people and the influence that they had and I think you look into our, our sporting organisations particularly um, GA clubs there is loads of great people that are willing to give support to the younger, younger boys and girls to help them along the way and I think that's the starting point. It it doesn't need to be having the best drills or the best coaching or or going unbeaten for a season. And I think when, and you talk about drop-off there in teenage years, my, my I suppose my anecdotal belief is the reason why that happens is because young boys and girls have a brain in their head and they can make decisions for themselves and they realise, you know what, what, what I've had to do for the last number of years where I've been told to do this, told to do that, I actually don't want to do it anymore. And you look in the GA context, you look at the Tony Forrestal teams that won the Tony Forrestal at, at, at underage, under 14, they never went on to win an all Ireland minor in a Dublin GA football context when we had the failure under the 14 Dublin football champions never won a minor now is there any correlation between that I would suggest there probably is so I suppose they're the kind of the, the, the kind of things I'd like people to challenge themselves with are we kind of doing things for the right thing are we looking for that instant success and victory or are we looking at the longer term perspective and um, for the value of all the boys or girls that you're, you're dealing with
1: Pat, I know there's a very extensive coaching structure there within the GEA now in coach education and likewise in all the major sports. Are those coach educations program doing what you're saying? Are, are they trying to create the more rounded young player? Are they still overly focused on, on drills and helping them in terms of the pure skills of the game?
2: I, I think there is a preoccupation with drills and uh, an increasing fixation with sports science, unfortunately. And that speaks to about 20%. Uh, It's the HMS the heart, the mind and the soul. That's, they're the real energy sources. And if I had one wish, and if there was one thing that could be done, I would reward coaches who transmit values onto young people and make them better people. And I would have an award for that. I think the volunteer sector is crying out for that. The good people that Jason spoke about who go unrecognized for doing outstanding work. And they do outstanding work because more than any other thing, they transmit values. And I think that's what we are chasing down here. And that's what we need to be clear about. And we need to recognize the outstanding volunteers who are transmitting those values.
0: Jason, two, two quick things that, um, before we, we wrap this up, we've obviously seen some very high profile players step away at the peak of their powers for a year, take a rest, whatever, you know, um, Mannion and McCaffrey spring to mind. And just the, the pressure that is involved in, in reaching that elite level and having an exterior life at the same time it it it's a very that tension is nearly a breaking point in 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 GA in particular at the moment. How do we how do we get back to that? How do we fix that? Or is is that too late?
3: It's certainly not too late because we we care and we love about our games and particularly like in this instance in a GA context. And I think going back to the very start of this conversation about engaging hearts and minds, a big part of that is. Young boys and girls seeing seeing the end product, seeing the the guys playing, represent your county, and how cool that is. And I would be worried in the sense of are each young boy and girl dreaming to sit play with their their county in in years to come? Because as we've seen, and um, there's been challenges in terms of the, the championship and in terms of results. So it, it's important that we ensure that it is. A privilege and a great thing to, to play for your county at, a se- at senior level. How we do that that is, is a challenge and again the, the one word I always use when it comes to this is sustainable. How can this be sustainable for any, any county that they can look ahead to their year ahead with possibility with hope, with the opportunity and see satisfaction in kind of giving their all and getting something in return the, the reality of GA, you're not going to have a level playing field and we know that this is an NFL where we have salary caps and we have we can make it fairer. So the GA in this instance has to come up with, with a system where each county, each player that plays county hurling and football, they kind of say at the start of the year, yeah, I want to do this and I see the value in doing this and um, probably we, we have struggled with that over the last couple of years and it's certainly a conversation that we, we need to have. Um, senior, senior into county is a choice. It, it is an absolute choice because it is a dedication to, to something and it's a very high commitment but at the same time from my own perspective I, I would have done anything I could to do that because I felt it was such a, a privileged thing to do and I would hope that we continue to, to keep that dream and keep that thought process in young boys and girls heads when they are thinking um, and looking to play for their county in the future.
2: Yeah Pat I saw you nodding your head there. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the key to it in hurling, we're not too far away from what we need at senior inter-county level. with the five tiers. And uh, I think if we had four tiers in football, the National Football League is uh, a very successful competition. And I think if we had an All-Ireland series with four tiers, two finals on a Saturday and two finals on a Sunday, we wouldn't be 100 miles away from what Jason is talking about.
0: Yeah, it's it's right there. Like it's, it, the system already exists and everybody's used to it. And it'd be a brilliant short season that would... You could commit to for three or four months as an intercounty player, and then go off and play club, and everybody would be great. And it kind of it gets back to that community-led values that I think we all saw last year, which were like uh, you know a real kind of outpouring nationally. Of, of um, at the same time, you, you talked about the um, the ability to just rock up and play games. Pat, um, I, I miss the name of it. It's the follow-on from the Go games. Is it the youth, Whatever that youth equivalent is, is there yeah, look- one of those for grown-ups? Is essentially the the missing piece of the, the puzzle? Is it?
2: But well, these, are, these are what we call Super Games. And ironically, the goal Games, Mickey Whelan completed a, a PhD on the Go Games, the efficacy of the Go Games in, with, with Nile Mine and DCU. And that was wonderful work. And ironically, Darry Sheridan, who's heading up high-performance coaching in New Zealand now, completed a PhD with David Lavely in Stirling University on the Super Games. And the resistance to the Super Games within the organization was quite incredible. But the feedback from the kids was, we want them. So we persevered and we'll continue to persevere. And for me, that's the key to unlocking the challenge at youth level, because the core games will take it to 11. And if we walk into two-year cohorts, we've got a 13, 15, 17, the uh, super games are the key to that, in my opinion, in terms of providing participation pathways with the person at the centre of the process.
0: So you can just get a game every week, which is kind of what kids want, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
1: And what about for adults then, Pat, because like we've gone through the, the the cool camps up to the teenagers up to club football which a lot of club teams now are replicating what intercounty teams are doing and actually a lot of club players want that they want to feel as though they're in some sort of a high performance culture how do you get that balance though providing that for the players that want it and also another option if you're 25 and you still want to play gaelic football is that what junior b is for still and that's where they go
2: yeah, well, I think I think the the big challenge there is to get the club county balance right. Uh, in my opinion, we'd have 24 weeks for both, uh, and a four week uh, close season. And within the club, I see it here in Rathowd, and I can compare it with my home club down in Waterford and Tallow. Like we could potentially have three or four adult teams, but they might struggle to have one down down in Tallow because of the population basis. And generally, on the Todd and Fault team, guys, they just want to play and have a bit of fun. They don't want to overly commit to training. Uh, and as you say with the first team it tends to be competitive, particularly if you're playing the senior the senior club stuff. But I think the key to this is getting the balance, having season and being able to tell people there's the programme of games, that's how we go about it, this is the philosophy that underpins it. And I was reading some article about Alex Ferguson yesterday and he having a philosophy or not having a philosophy, but I think that's it's a, it's a high brow enough one, but that's what it comes back to, I think. Just being clear about what it is we're trying to do.
0: That's uh, really fascinating stuff this morning. Thanks a million to both of you for being so generous of your time. It's an important conversation, and we're just kicking it off here. So my thanks to Pat Daly and Jason Sherlock for being with us this morning. Cheers, lads. All of us. Cheers. It's uh, 8.34 here. Um, We are going to follow this up across the rest of the week, so uh, we'll we'll put all the content together so you can find it pretty easily on otbsports.com and on the app as well. And, um, yeah, look, I, I just think, Nathan, this is a conversation we need to have.
1: Yeah, and I think Pat Daly uh, has always been a real thought leader in this in terms of balance in a sport that is just driven towards elitism more and more in recent times that unless you're willing to make this savage commitment, there may not be a place for you in this organization and they are trying to roll that back. And it is very difficult at all levels because everyone wants to be Jim Gavin. Jason Sherlock touched on it. Jim Gavin, he's gone back to his club. Jim Gavin is not treating the Ballyboden under 12s the way he does the dublin senior football team in fact what makes him such a brilliant coach is he recognizes the needs of a 12 year old are obviously very different to the needs of a senior inter-county footballer and it's trying to get that across to the adults who are going out week in week out and who are who are the people who are there coaching on the ground and i think the different sports as we'll see during the week have have different issues and different needs across elitism We'll get on to soccer and the underage leagues and summer soccer against winter soccer and the various debates that go into that and participation and the funding issues around soccer rugby all these sports facilities i'm sure we'll get into as well what's there for away from the three four main sports in this country where actually the vast majority of people just want to rock up and play a game of squash or play a game of tennis and are the opportunities there for them yeah
0: okay well we'll try and answer as many of those questions over the next week and at least again open the debate uh, if, you, if you've got an opinion about any of that stuff that you want to get involved in you can email am at or you can always uh, text us 0879 180 180 is the number The OTV Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go Snack smart
3: with 100% natural protein powered chicken bites